Well, good morning, everybody. You guys can stand up. We're going to sing just one worship song this morning. Um, there's like there's a lot of joy and energy in the room. It's kind of cool because like we all got an extra hour of sleep, so I can just tell everybody's like just bouncing off the walls. So it's kind of fun. So we're going to sing uh, uh, "Great Things" is the name of the song. Worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. You conquered the grave You free every captive And break every chain Oh God You have done great things We dance in your freedom Awake and alive Oh Jesus our Savior Your name lifted high Oh God You have done great things You've been faithful through every storm You'll be faithful forevermore You have done great things And I know you will do it again For your promises, yes and amen You will do great things God, you do great things Oh, here of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. God, above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things, hallelujah, God, above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, You conquered the grave, you free every captive, and break every chain, oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive, oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things, you have done great Oh God, oh God, you do great things. 
We're going to read a few scriptures together. Um, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, as we've been for the last couple months, um, and we'll read through the four verses that we'll be studying today, Matthew five twenty-seven through 30. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You guys can stay standing. Lynn's going to lead us in a few hymns. Well, our two songs today is It Is Well With My Soul and Sweet Our Prayer. This It Is Well With My Soul was a request, so bear with me as I try to do this. <clears throat> When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast brought me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul, though Satan should bow. Faith, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. Let Christ's death regard in my helpless estate, even though his own blood for my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole who's nailed to the cross and i bear it no more and praise the lord praise the lord Oh, my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Ellen, Lord, haste the day. When the fate shall be sight, 
the trumpet will back as a scroll is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul let's do that last verse again and Lord haste the day when the faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll the trump shall resound and the Lord will descend is alone it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul okay sweet hour of prayer Sweet hour of prayer that calls me from the world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known in seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief i'll cast on him my every care and wait for the sweet hour of prayer Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer as we usually do, and then we will, um, we will continue with the service. So um, just as a reminder, uh, we want to continue to be in prayer for, um, for those who we know who are not saved, who don't know the Lord. Um, we want to continue to be in prayer for our fellow believers within the church um, who are just going through various different things, um, family issues, sin struggles, um, sickness, uh, different hardships and stuff like that. We want to just be in prayer for each other um, through those different times. Um, Evan has shared with us a few prayer requests that we also want to keep in mind as we pray for him this morning and this week. Um, his wife, as many of us know, uh, is pregnant and just having a real rough uh, first trimester, so if we can uh, pray for her during this time. Um, Evan's also, he's starting a new Bible study on Wednesday nights um, in... Uh, um, Gosh, where is he? I, 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 it's blanked. Vietnam. I was going to say Venezuela. I was like, he's not in South America. Um, he's starting a new Bible study where he is in Vietnam. For anyone who doesn't know, we have a church missionary in Vietnam. Uh, and then also continue to pray for his MMA club, that that can be a, 
a, uh, a way that he can continue to share the gospel with people around him and build relationships um, that can impact people for eternity. Um, so we also want to be in prayer for the conflict in the Middle East right now. Um, pray that the Lord's will will be done, that people's hearts will be turned to Christ. Um, and so let's spend just a few minutes in prayer, um, and then we will proceed. Father, we thank you for today, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity for us to gather. Thank you for the joy that's in this room and just the excitement um, that we all have gathering together as a church family, Lord. I pray that you will continue to strengthen um, the ties uh, of each of the families in this church. God, I pray that uh, you would draw us closer and closer to you, Lord. We pray for Evan. Uh, God, I pray that you will bless his uh, endeavors um, in all the missions work that he does, Lord. I pray for his MMA club and for this new Wednesday night Bible study he's starting, Lord. Uh, God, we also pray that you would uh, just help his wife as she's uh, going through a, a rough first trimester of pregnancy, Lord, that you will uh, have your hand on her, and God, um, lighten things up, allow her to, um, to just have, a, have an easier time with it, God, if that's your will. Lord, we uh, again lift up our church to you. I pray that you just continue to give us wisdom and discernment as we, uh, as we proceed and, and uh, figure out Lord, what the next uh, step is uh, for us as a body. And God, I pray that you will um, just be with us and help us uh, learn from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last, last couple of weeks, we've been uh, in uh, Jesus' uh, exposition of the Old Testament law. So we are going through the Sermon on the Mount um, and are in Matthew chapter 5. So this morning, uh, we're going to be in verses uh, 27 through 30. So just a disclaimer, we, we will be discussing Jesus' teaching on lust and adultery this morning. So I don't know if there's any young, young kids in here that, that y'all want to send to nursery. Go ahead. Uh, I think most of them have already taken their leave, but I just wanted to put that out there. Um, so a, f- a few weeks ago, we discussed, we discussed Christ's fulfillment of the law and how he didn't come to abolish the law. And then last week, uh, we went and studied Jesus' teachings on murder and how Jesus essentially came forward and said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, you shall not even as much as be angry with a brother or sister, or you shall not insult, or you shall not slander, you shall not call people fools. Uh, he didn't use quite that language, but that's what Jesus was getting to. 
The point that Jesus was making in his remarks that we studied last week is that, yes, murder is sin, but everything that leads to the murder is also sin. The bitterness, the resentment, the gossip, the anger, and the jealousy. So today we're going to be continuing in our study of Matthew chapter 5, and I think we'll find Christ's application of adultery very similar to his application of murder. Similarly, most people um, don't murder. Most people don't commit adultery. But the question is, do you do the very things that the law prohibits in the heart of the law, or are you just only obeying the letter of the law? So we'll be going through uh, this passage as usual, uh, one verse at a time. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That's, that's his, his first statement. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And here he's referencing the Ten Commandments. Uh, this is specifically the Seventh Commandment uh, in Exodus chapter uh, 20, verse 14. Um, and committing adultery is quite simply the violation of the marriage covenant. Um, and to the Old Testament Jews, this would have been seen as a prohibition against adultery and fornication. It would have been a prohibition against any uh, sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. But many of them would have seen it as strictly that, as strictly prohibiting the actions that you choose to do. Um, and so Jesus, Jesus comes here and he furthers that command. Now, he's, he's not rewriting the Old Testament command. Jesus is not coming here um, saying that the law wasn't perfect and the, the law had error and I'm coming to fix the Old Testament law. Jesus is coming explaining what he intended from the very beginning. And I say he quite intentionally because Jesus Christ uh, the, the, the main thing that got him killed was claiming that he was God. He said, I and the Father are one. And Jesus, as a part of the triune God, issued the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And so Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he, he begins and he, and he says, you've, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And then he moves from there straight to the heart of the law. He goes straight from the letter of the law to the heart of the law. In our, in our Christian context and culture, we understand Jesus' intent here. We understand that Jesus is saying not only is adultery the, the, the sinful, but even so much as a lustful glance or a lustful thought is also equally as sinful. But the point that Jesus is making is that if you give in to lustful temptation, you are breaking the seventh commandment. You see, see the, Jews, the Jews would have said, well, as long as I don't commit adultery, I'm fine, but I can uh, give in to lustful temptation because that's not what the law prohibits. And what Jesus says is, no, the law from the very beginning intended this to say, don't do anything that leads to adultery. It, it's, it's the same thing as murder. We talked about last week. Jesus prohibits murder. He says, you shall not murder, right? He, he, he quotes the Old Testament law, Exodus 2013. But then he says, but hold on, it's not just murder that's sinful, that's everything that leads up to the murder. And so he does the same thing with adultery here. He says, you've heard it said, uh, do not commit adultery, but it's not just adultery that's sinful. It's everything that leads up to the adultery that's sinful. The point of Jesus' remark here is he's boiling everything down to the least common denominator. He's boiling everything down to the least common denominator. And in all adultery, the least common denominator is lustful desire. Every case of marital unfaithfulness begins with one spouse giving in to lustful temptation and ignoring God's law in this particular issue. 
Adultery does not start all of a sudden as some huge thing. Adultery starts in very small steps, progressing further and further away from one's spouse and into sin. So Jesus' point here is that the sin begins at the desire level. The sin doesn't begin at the action level. The sin begins at the desire level. So, so we understand that, that the, the lustful thought or the lustful glance is just as much sin as adultery. But what does Jesus mean when he says the one who, who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart? What does he mean when he says that? He, he's, first of all, he's not saying that it's equally as evil to commit actual adultery as it is to have a lustful thought. Uh, this idea that all sin is equal is not scriptural um, because uh, there, there is parts of the Bible where it specifically talks about there are certain sins that God hates more than others. There are sins that are unforgivable according to Jesus. Not sins, but there is the unforgivable sin. There, there, is, there are some sins that God hates more than others. And certainly adultery, um, he hates more than, uh, more than some of the lesser forms of adultery. But the point of Jesus' remark here is to say that when you look at someone with lust, you are breaking the seventh commandment. You think, that, you think that you're holy just because you haven't cheated on your spouse? Well, guess what? If you've so much looked at another woman with lust, or vice versa, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. So what does he mean by this phrase, in your heart? What does he mean by you've committed adultery with her in your heart? The heart, the, the word heart in the, uh, in, in the Greek is very similar to the way that we use the word heart. So it just means the whole of one's person. And that would include your desires and your intentions. And what Jesus is saying is that, no, you, you haven't committed real adultery. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that in, in, her, in your heart at the end there. But what he's, what he's saying is that in your desires and in your intentions and in your motives, you have committed adultery with that person in your heart. To commit adultery in your heart is to desire or wish for sexual pleasure outside of the covenant of marriage. It's in essence to commit adultery by committing adultery with your desires. To commit adultery with your heart is to commit adultery with your desires. It's to desire sin and infidelity. So Jesus equates even the smallest level of lust, not only as sin, but as adultery in the heart. When he references heart, as we mentioned, he's taking it back to the root desire. He's taking it back to your motives, your intentions, and what you want. And the root desire behind lust, every single time, it is, is a desire for more than God has given you. The root desire behind lustful temptation is, is a lack of contentment with, with what God has given you. For the unmarried man, lust is a lack of contentment in the situation that God has placed him in his singleness. And for the married person, lust is a lack of contentment in, in, in the spouse that God has gifted one with. Both of those are sinful. And ultimately, both of those are a slap in the face to the sovereignty of God. Because if we truly understand that God is sovereign over every single detail of our lives, then we cannot say that, oh, the spouse God has given me is not who he wants me to be with. Or we cannot say that we have a right to desire something else because God has ordained that we would be in the situation that we are in. Hebrews chapter 13, you guys can turn there if you'd like. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, we'll be there for just a a few minutes. Verses four through five applies very uh, directly, I think, to what we're discussing here. I'll give you a minute to turn there. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verses four through five, says marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed to be kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. So to break that down a little bit, the writer of Hebrews says marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. Why? Because God will judge the sexually immoral. And according to Jesus' words, that doesn't just mean the fornicators and the adulterers or the homosexuals or the, the transgenders or, or all, the, the worst forms of sexual immorality. That means the one who so much as looks at another person with lust in his heart. But then verse five continues and he says, Be free, keep your life free from the love of money. The King James, King James Version says something similar to uh, keep your life free of covetousness. And it says, be satisfied with what you have. And, and that, that, that section there, it says, be satisfied with what you have is, made, is meant to apply, I think, in verse chapter five to the physical situation you're in in terms of your wealth and your finances or the lack thereof. But I think we can scripturally take that same application of be satisfied with what you have with what you have, and apply it to verse four, where it says marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. Because the key to fidelity in marriage and the key to, uh, to fighting the, the lustful temptations that, that the enemy would, would like us to succumb to is being satisfied with what we have, is being content with what God has given us. This is in part what Jesus is getting at in verse 28. The reason Jesus equates a lustful glance with, adul- with adultery is because of the desires underneath. The lustful look is to desire more than God has given you. This word lust um, in the Greek uh, is used all throughout the Bible interchangeably w- w- as to mean coveting or, or desiring. So when Jesus says, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He is, he is banning coveting. He's saying not only is adultery sin, it's sinful to covet someone else's wife. And what's interesting about Jesus' application here um, is his application on murder is he says, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you, don't insult. Don't hate. Don't be angry. And, and all of those things were not in the original Ten Commandments. The original Ten Commandments did not say, don't be angry with your brother or sister. But when Jesus answers here in, in verse 28, He says, but I tell you, whoever looks at a woman with covetousness has already committed adultery with her. So what do we know about the 10 commandments? Not only does the 10 commandments directly prohibit adultery, but the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments says this, Exodus 20, 17, right there. It says, do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So in the Old Testament law and in the Ten Commandments, Jesus' very command here that he takes adultery further into was laid out in the Ten Commandments. And there were many who disobeyed God's commands in this way. Each of the do not commands in the Ten Commandments have a direct inverse that we could apply. Each of the do not commands have a direct inverse that we could apply. So the Sixth Commandment says do not murder. What's the inverse of that? Well, if murdering... Uh, if do not murder also means do not hate and do not uh, insult and do not be angry, then the inverse is love one another. The inverse of the sixth commandment is love one another. The ninth commandment says do not bear false witness. What's the inverse of that? 
we're to tell the truth. Similarly, the seventh commandment says, do not commit adultery. So what's the inverse of that? Honor the marriage bed and keep it undefiled. And so it is with the 10th commandment. It says, do not covet anything that your neighbor has. And the inverse of that is we as Christians are to be totally and completely satisfied with everything the Lord has given us. And the 10th commandment is even more specific than that because it says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. What is lust other than coveting your neighbor's wife or coveting someone else's future wife? The inverse of this verse could read, be totally satisfied with what God has given you. Be totally satisfied with the husband, with the wife God has given you. And I think this application that Jesus makes here can go further than, most of us read this and we think, okay, well, well, then we need to not have sexual desire for anybody outside of marriage. Okay, I understand that. I think this application goes even further beyond that because it says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. And yes, that means physically do not covet your neighbor's wife, but also do not covet the way your neighbor's wife loves your neighbor and the things that she can do that your wife cannot do. And, And the reverse of that is wives, Do not covet your neighbor's husband and think, well, he does this and that, which is better than what my husband does. And I wish my husband would do that. And then now holding your husband or your wife up to a standard that they cannot meet. That's the problem with coveting. But we can't read this and just say, this is only meant to be a prohibition against sexual lust and sexual coveting. It's further than that. We are to be entirely and fully satisfied with what God has given us. Lustful desire is strongly condemned all throughout scripture. The New Testament epistles are filled with warnings against lustful desire, against fornication, and against adultery. So many times when Paul is writing, he he gives a list of sinful things. And in those sinful things, almost every time is a reference to some sort of sexual immorality, be it homosexuality, be it adultery, be it fornication, be it lustful desire, or anything similar to that. So Jesus' point here in verse 28 is to point us to the heart of the law. You may have heard it said, I've heard it said before, people say, well, I'm a spirit of the law type of person. I'm not a letter of the law type of person. And sometimes the one who says, well, I hold to the spirit of the law, not the letter, gets bashed because they're looked at as sometimes bending the law and saying, well, it doesn't mean this. I can get around it. I can do that. But if we truly are spirit of the law Christians who understand the heart of the law, We won't use that to to give us more distance between the law and have more freedom to do sinful things. We'll use that to say, all right, God said don't do this. He probably means I also shouldn't do this, that, this, this, and the other. Because when we truly try to figure out the intent of the law, we can really pursue holiness and become more and more like Christ in a way that the letter of the law will not allow us to do. So similar to murder, we're not just to stop at adultery. We're to stop at everything that might precede adultery. The prohibition against murder was not just to restrain murder, but to restrain hate, anger, insult, resentment, slander, violence. And in the same way, the prohibition against adultery and marital infidelity is not just don't commit adultery. It was a prohibition of lustful thoughts, of lustful glances, It's a prohibition against the married building unhealthy relationships with people of the opposite sex. 
It's a prohibition against lustful wishes. It's a prohibition against pornography. It's a prohibition against soft pornography or any form of immodesty and desire for immodesty, whether it be in video, photo, any, in real life, any of those circumstances. The law that says do not commit adultery means flee from sexual temptation. So we see again uh, in, in this section of Matthew, Jesus' pattern for scriptural exposition. In verse 27, he gives the Old Testament verse. He, he gives the, the passage that says, do not commit adultery. And then in verse 28, he explains the meaning of it. He says, it doesn't just mean don't commit adultery. It means do not desire lustful things. And then in verses 29 and 30, as we're about to get into, Jesus gets to the application Jesus gets to the application of his, uh, I'm going I'm to come over here. I think I, I misplaced him. Jesus gets to the application of the verse that he was expositing there. So we'll read this together. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So Jesus now comes to the application of his argument. And the flow of his argument goes like this. Don't commit adultery. And that means don't lust. And now it means if there's anything between you and holiness, cut it out of your life, root it out of your life. Jesus's admonition here is quite strong. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, now, now most scholars would agree that, that this passage here is hyperbole. Um, that, that Jesus is, is exaggerating when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And I think one way we can tell that is because he specifically says, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. And so what would that do if you cut out your right eye? Well, then you would just sin with your left eye. So I think Jesus is, is here splitting hairs a little bit because he's pointing out the, the hyperbole in his statement but the point of it is, I, I don't think we should overlook the truth in trying to understand that Jesus doesn't mean that we should mutilate our bodies. The, the truth in it, in it is that if, that it would be better for you to gouge out your eyes than to spend eternity in hell because you could not overcome your sin. It would be better for you to go into heaven without hands than it would be for you to go to hell for your sin. One theologian said, it's better to limp into heaven than to leap into hell. That's what Jesus is saying here. So there's certainly truth to his words, but the point is that if you have sin in your life, you need to do whatever you can to rid yourself of that sin. Do whatever you can to rid yourself of that sin. So if you struggle with lustful temptation, as Jesus points out in this verse, I would hate to see you gouge your eyes out. And I'm sure you would hate to see that too. So what should you do then? You should gouge every single thing in your life that causes you to sin out of your life before you get to your eyes. Jesus is saying you need to be serious about your, your getting rid of sin. You need to be serious about it. And you might say, well, it's my eyes that are causing me to sin. Oh, oh, it's your eyes, okay. Well, how about maybe the places you go or the things you watch on television or the things you look at on your cell phone or the apps you have on your phone or the people you talk to? You see, there are all of these things that we can cut out of our lives before we have to cut out our eyes. And I think, I th I think it would be 
of our best interest to do all of those things. And I think we would find that we no longer need to gouge out our eyes because we've taken out every other possible instance of sinful temptation. So verse 29, it says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. An application could be if your television or computer causes you to sin, shut it off and throw it away. If it would be better for you to rid yourself of internet access or television access or, or a, a smartphone or something like that than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus is making this remark directly about sexual sin. I had a friend several years ago who was uh, talking with me about his struggle with pornography and how he needed to quit. And uh, so I asked him how he typically would find himself falling into temptation to view pornography. And, uh, and he said to me, he said it was, t- it was typically on his, on his smartphone. He had an iPhone. And I said, okay, well, uh, let's, let's get rid of your smartphone. Let's, 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 uh, I, let me help you find a flip phone or something like that. And he said, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. And I was like, well, why not? And he was like, well, I just, I mean, I, my phone's real convenient. I use it for other things. Like, I, I, sometimes I read the Bible on it. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not always sitting on my phone. And, uh, and I said to him, well, do, do, you want, do you want to be rid of this pornography habit or no? And he said, you know, I, I, I just think I'm going to, I think I'm just going to keep praying about it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep praying about it. And so I asked him, how long have you been praying about this? And he said, well, for quite a while. And that was where he stood. He did not want to gouge out his eyes. He didn't want to get, the, his smartphone was his access to, to pornography and lustful temptation. And instead of removing himself, uh, instead of removing that from his life, he said, I'm just going to keep praying about it. And, and I by no means intend to slight the power of prayer. But if I, was, if I was a poor man and I didn't have a job and I really needed work and I really needed money, and you said to me, Zach, come here, I'm going to help you find a job. I, I know a guy who's hiring and he, you've got the skills to fulfill what he needs. And I said, yo, well, I, don't, I don't know. That might, that, that might be too far of a drive for me. Or that, that might take too much work. I'm just going to keep praying that God will give me money. What would you, what would you call me? You'd call me a fool and you'd be right to do so. Because we have to be serious about our, about our getting rid of sin. And if we're not serious about it, we don't really want it gone. If we're not serious about it, we don't really want it gone. See, the problem with lust and the problem with these vices is not in just the action, but in the desire. The reason my friend didn't want to get rid of his smartphone is because he did not hate pornography enough. And he did not love the Lord enough. Because if he hated what pornography was doing to his life and he loved the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he would have said, I will do whatever it takes. Getting rid of your smartphone is way less of a commitment than gouging out your eyes. And for many people, it could solve the problem right there. But we're so attached to the conveniences of our modern world. We're so attached to being able to go on Instagram or, or, or any of these uh, YouTube or, or web surfing or, or being able to ask Siri directions to somewhere. You might have to carry a map in your car, but you won't be bound to hell. See, as Christians, if we're going to be serious about sin, we need to be serious about getting rid of the things that tempt us to sin. Galatians 5.24 says this, not, uh, it says, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you, if you belong to Christ, you have not only prohibited yourself from adultery, 
you are continuously working to crucify the passions and the desires of your sinful flesh. Paul, Paul in Romans 7 talks about how hard it is, how his struggle with sin is difficult. But, but you know what you can tell from Romans 7? Yes, Paul falls into sin sometimes, but he hates his sin. He hates his sin. And so if my friend hated his addiction enough that he would get rid of his phone, I guarantee you there would be times in the future where he would fall back into that sin. But he, just, he, he would have put his money where his mouth is and said, you know what, I'm gonna do whatever I can on my end to stop myself from falling into this sin. I can't control what's on this billboard. I can't control what pops up at t- on TV at a restaurant, but I can control what I do and how I manage my sinful temptations and desires. Now, those who belong to Christ will have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a common mantra in the evangelical world that says homosexual action is sin, but homosexual desire is not sin. I'm sure many of us have heard this before. I'd heard it for a long time. Homosexual action is sin, but homosexual desire is not sin. But that's not true. Because this verse right here says, those who have been crucified with Christ crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's calling those passions and desires sinful because they are. The church has never believed and taught in all of church history that homosexual desire is not sin until about the last 50 years when there's been societal pressure to do so. But more importantly than than what the church has taught is what the Bible teaches. And there are many verses where where Paul talks about you being freed from your sinful desire. James, in James uh, 1.14 says, but each person tempted when he's dragged away by his own evil desire and enticed. It says evil desire. Why? Because the desire is evil. If someone came to you and said, you know what, I'm a strong, blood-bought, born-again child of the living God, and I'm a pastor of the church down the road, I've never committed adultery, but I really desire to do so. Would you be concerned? Yeah, you would. If I said, I, 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 I've, I'm not going to commit adultery, but my orientation is uh, to desire other women that are not my wife, every single one of us in this room would say, ooh, that's awfully concerning. And so the same is true with all sexual sin, whether it's homosexuality, adultery, pornography, lustful thoughts. It's not just the action that's sinful, it's the desire that's sinful. It's not just the murder that's sinful, it's the desire to murder someone that's sinful. The desire to commit a sin is sin in and of itself every single time. Secular statistics will estimate that 95% of men or or somewhere around there are regular users of pornography and a growing number of women in our culture as well. Some statistics will follow that positing that nearly two-thirds of professing Christians claim to be somewhat regular users of pornography. And I think we could say that a large percent of the men in, in those uh, surveys who are professing Christians and living in sin, probably a large percent of them are only professing Christians and don't truly know Christ. But I have no doubt that there are some men in that survey that answered yes, who are struggling with sin and fighting their sin and hating their sin, but cannot overcome their sin. And it's because so many Christians do not hate sin enough and love the Lord enough to do whatever they can to fight it. And that goes for all of us. We all need to hate sin enough and love the Lord enough and and think so highly of his holiness that we despise the temptations that we succumb to. 
Because of the uh, statistical ubiquity of porn, I would imagine that it's possible, maybe it's likely, um, that there are some of us, uh, that, that there are some people in this room who may have struggled with this in the past or struggle with it in the present. And I want to encourage you that you can be done with pornography. The grip that it has on you does not need to persist. You just have to be willing to get rid of your phone. And I don't just mean your phone. I mean whatever it is that's in your way. The reason that, that, that if this is you, and it may not be anybody in this room, but I think this is important to mention, the reason that, the reason that you fall into pornography is because you desire it. The reason that you watch porn, as, as one pastor said, is because you love porn. Why? You, you might say, that, that, that's not true. I hate it. I, I absolutely hate it. And I believe that you do to some level, but a part of you also loves it. This is true for every single sin. The reason some of us gossip is because we love it and it makes us feel good. The reason we're arrogant is because we love it and it makes us feel good. And Jesus is saying to those who say, I've never committed adultery. Oh, really? Does that go any further than that? Do you look at another woman with lust? So in order to be done with lustful desire or pornography, you have to reorient your desires. You, you have to wrestle with it. You have to seek to understand how destructive it is. You have to pursue holiness and pursue Christ in his word so much that you begin to truly hate it and hate all of it. The only way that you can be done with lustful desire is to truly learn to despise it. One author said it this way, lust promises what it can't deliver. And I think that's absolutely true. Lust, lustful temptation is always, always, always false advertising. It's never fulfilled anyone in the way that it promises. It's a trap that kills marriages for married people and a trap that heavily damages future marriages for unmarried people. But more importantly than that, it puts separation between you and God. More importantly than what it does, than, than what this type of sin does to one's physical body and, and, and what it does to your life and your marriage, is that God is holy. And he has, he has called us to be holy as I am holy. So if we are going to pursue holiness, we're going to take Jesus' words where he equates adultery with lustful temptation very seriously. The only way to be done with sin, and this goes for every single type of sin, is to begin to feel about it the exact same way that God feels about it. Once you truly hate it, you may find, as Paul declares in Romans 7, that, that he still struggles with his sin, that the thing that he hates, he does. And yes, we as Christians have a continuous fight to break free from sin. This is called sanctification. It just means the process of becoming more and more holy. We have a duty and a responsibility to continue to pursue biblical holiness. And for this reason, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Because he means if anything gets in your way between me and you, destroy it. Get rid of it. It's not worth it. Many, uh, many of us in this room value our eyesight quite a bit. If someone came, up, came into this room and said, I'll give anyone in here $10 million, you just need to take out your eyes. None of us would do that. None of us would accept a billion dollars for our eyesight. Our eyesight is wildly valuable to us. But Jesus says it's better that you don't even have your eyesight 
then you enter hell for your sin. And again, I'm, I'm not encouraging bodily mutilation. I don't think Jesus is too. What he's doing is he's pointing out the hypocrisy. He's, he's pointing out the error in our thinking. So let's apply this quite practically. And this is one of the things I love about verse-by-verse teaching is because this is kind of an uncomfortable topic probably for most people. Um, and you can't avoid uncomfortable topics when you teach through the Bible. It'd be so easy to jump around and not address something like this because, well, it's uncomfortable and it's going to make us all uncomfortable. And yeah, okay, Jesus addressed it. And if the Bible addresses something, we also must address it. So if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. How do we apply that in our modern world? If your computer causes you to sin, get rid of it. Or, or put serious restrictions on it so that you can't be tempted to fall into sin. I think probably every Christian man in this room, whether he has struggled with this in the past or not, it would be wise to have, to have software on your devices that will block you from going to certain websites. Um, just because there is, the internet's a crazy place and something could just pop up and you don't want to leave any room for potential temptation. If your phone is a constant source of temptation for you, then get rid of your smartphone and get a flip phone. Or remove the web surfer, remove the social media apps. I think uh, social media is one of the, people say it's one of the best and the worst things that's ever happened to modern society. I think it's one of the worst and the worst and a little bit beneficial things that's ever happened to modern society. I, I have Facebook, I, I, I use it. We, we used the church Facebook page. Facebook's probably the most wholesome of all of the apps and it still is sometimes kind of sus. Um, but, Social media is, is really a dangerous place. Um, and I, I, would, I, would, I would argue for Christians that we really should be careful about what apps we allow on our phones. There, there are some like Facebook that are generally more conservative. They're not conservative in any way, but I mean conservative in the sense that you're not going to get uh, super sketchy stuff all the time. But there are other applications like, like uh, Snapchat or TikTok that I think as Christians we should probably not use. Because the, 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 the stuff that comes in some of these applications, although it's great, we can communicate with friends, it's cool and it's fun, there is a heavy amount of ungodliness that's promoted through these applications. And I think the same thing could be said for television. Exact same thing can be said for television. And so many of us Christians, we say, oh, we'll watch a movie as long as there's no sex scene in it. Cool, great. Don't watch movies with sex scenes. I'm all on board with that. But then a lot of Christians will sit down and, and watch a movie with no sex scene and there's joking about infidelity, adultery, uh, homosexuality, and all forms of ungodliness sitting there enjoying it. We as Christians should not do that. I, uh, I was at a friend's house a couple years ago and he was like, you guys want to watch a movie? And I'm not much of a movie person, but I, I stayed for a little bit just because he's a good friend. And uh, along with his parents, him and a couple other people were just sitting down watching this movie um, and there was all kinds of references to homosexuality and adultery and things like that. And I was just like, I know there's, they're not showing anything, but, they're, but they're, they're feeding this idea that this is normal. And I don't think as Christians we should be engaged in things like that. So maybe you say, I don't struggle, I, I don't struggle with pornography and I don't, I don't struggle with those types of lusts. That's excellent. Stay far away from those types of things. Um, but I would apply Jesus' words to you and say, okay, you, you don't commit adultery, you don't struggle with pornography, but do you fall into lesser forms of inappropriate digital content found in movies, TV, or social media? And maybe you're free from all of that, but where do your eyes look? 
Or what do you think about? That's what Jesus is getting at. He, do, he doesn't care so much about our external obedience to the law. He cares about what do we desire? Where do we look? What do we think about? Every time Jesus takes our sin to the heart level and he wants us to do whatever we can to rid ourselves of that sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who sins sexually sins against his own body. I read that a little wrong, but we got the gist of it. So we're commanded to flee sexual sin and not flirt with it. Whatever level of sin that is, we are commanded to flee to run the other way. That doesn't mean, look, if this is a temptation for you, stay here so that you don't, that you don't go this way. No, it means go this way. We're, we are to be so far away from temptation to sin as Christians, as best as we can help it. So whatever the extent of sin, whether it's blatant adultery or fornication, which just means sex before or outside of marriage, whether it's an unhealthy extramarital relationship, whether it's pornography or soft pornography, or stuff in, in music, or movies, or whatever it is. All of those are off limits for the Christian. And the reason is because those sins only grow. You can't stop it here. If you desire adultery, and you let yourself desire that for so long, it will cause huge problems for you down the road. I knew a, few, a couple men a couple years ago who both one, one was going through a divorce in the moment, the other, it was many years earlier. And I asked both of them, they're Christian men, uh, I asked both of them, I was like, so how did this start? Because I'm, I'm a young man and I want to I just understand this. And it was a very open conversation. They didn't find it weird at all. Um, and they both said that, that divorce always starts many, 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 many years before the divorce. With both of them, it was because of marital infidelity. And I guarantee you, from their words, the infidelity did not start the week before the divorce papers were handed. Years before, years before, lust was cultivated, a desire for somebody else was fed, and sinful desires, specifically lustful desires, only grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why Jesus says, nip it in the bud. Don't let it grow. Get rid of it now. Jesus doesn't, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, you know, oh, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, uh, I don't know, don't think about committing adultery. He says, don't even, don't even let yourself have a lustful thought or glance. Because as Christians, we cannot let ourselves spiral further and further and further into disobedience to Christ. In Proverbs chapter five, the author writes about uh, the forbidden woman is her name. In verse 8, he says, Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Proverbs 7 then continues, warning against adultery, telling a story of an adulterous woman who waits at her house, waiting for a young man who lacks sense to pass by so that she can approach him dressed as a prostitute and entice him. So that she can say to him, Look, my husband's not home. Come in with me. Proverbs 7, 21-22a says this, with much seductive speech, she, per, she persuades him. Her smooth talk, she compels him. At once he follows her as an ox going to the slaughter. In their day, the strange woman or the forbidden woman, depending on your translation, would live in a house on a specific street. And the, and, and the encouragement from the writer of Proverbs says, don't go near that street. 
At nighttime, don't go near her door. Stay far away from that road. And obviously this is in some sense poetry. I I think this doesn't reflect a real encounter, but it gives us insight into what their day looked like. And the writer of Proverbs says, don't go near the door of the adulterous woman. Don't go near the door of the forbidden woman. His encouragement is to entirely avoid it. And we must heed the same instruction. The problem is, and this is a big problem, and it's going to make it, it just makes it harder as us, as Christians, to pursue holiness, but we still have the responsibility to do it. The problem is in our day, the forbidden woman, the forbidden woman is everywhere because we are in a world so inundated with sexual temptation. It's on billboards on the side of a highway. It's, a, it's on Netflix. It's on television. It's in movies, it's on Facebook, Instagram, every social media platform out there. It's in music. It's in almost every representation of our dominant culture. The forbidden woman that at one point in time was in one house and you don't go near that street is now all over us. Frankly, many people from just a few clicks away on on a smartphone can have access to the worst levels of sexual immorality that has ever been seen in the history of man. So what used to take you 20 minutes across town to walk to or a few hours to walk to, you could have in six seconds. And so we as Christians have to be all the more vigilant to root that sin out of our lives because it will destroy you. Because it will destroy you. As a result of all of this evil in our culture, many secular women feel it normal to dress with no sense of the biblical commands for modesty and decency. And then they furthermore post those images online on many of the social media platforms that are used or websites or other sort of things. But the secular world has influenced the Christian church because it's not just a secular world that succumbs to that sin. Many Christian women, and I, I would wager the number of Christian women that do, the, that do a similar thing to the secular world, which is dress with no, with no concern for the Bible's commands for modesty, and then in the same sense, post that online for other people to see. I would wager that the number of Christian women who do that is probably pretty similar to the number of professing Christian men who view pornography. See, uh, there, there are some women, and an increasing number in our society, who struggle with pornography, and there are some men who struggle with um, a desire to look a certain way and attract other people. But speaking in vast generalities, generally it's the men who struggle with visual lust and it's the women who struggle with uh, attracting other people and using their body to do so. Both are sinful. Men and women both have to avoid both. And in the Christian church, we've allowed both to creep in. We've allowed both to creep in. In the Christian church, we've made it normal. We, we, it's, it's understandable for men to not be vigilant, vigilant rather in their fight against lustful temptation. And it's become normal for women to dress, frankly, as the forbidden woman would have dressed in Proverbs. We have to be vigilant to fight against both. Every single Christian needs to be free from sexual sin. And again, None of us are going to be perfect. Paul says in Romans 7, I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. None of us are going to be perfect. But if we're keeping our iPhones, when our iPhone is what causes us to sin, do we really care about holiness? 
We can't just point our fingers at the homosexuality of the world or point our fingers at the adultery or the divorce of the world without acknowledging that even in the church we have vast amounts of men who need to give up pornography and lustful desire and vast amounts of women who need to give up dressing like the forbidden woman in Proverbs because even in the church of Christ this type of sin can creep in. Our culture is so sexually perverse. You know what the church often does? We say, we need to be two steps ahead of that. No, we don't. We need to be far, far away from the sexual perversion of our culture. So in closing, I'd like to read a quote from uh, the 20th century preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's addressing the same issue of adultery and desire here. And he says this, and this is many years ago before, before the internet and things like that. He says, you've never been guilty of adultery? All right. Would you then answer me this simple question? Why do you read all the details of divorce cases in newspapers? Why do you do it? Why is it essential that you read right through these reports? What is your interest? There's only one answer, and it's that you are enjoying it. You would not dream of doing these things yourselves, but you are doing them by proxy. You are sitting in your heart and your mind and in your imagination, and therefore you are guilty of adultery. the same admonition needs to go to the Christian church today. Many of us don't read newspapers, but many of us use television and use these different media, newspapers just to form a media. We use these different media outlets and many of them glorify sin or at least tell stories about sin that, that pique our interest and we need to run away from those things. Martin Lloyd-Jones hits the nail on the head when he says, you would never dream of doing these things yourselves, but you are doing them by proxy. You are sinning in your heart, mind, and imagination, and therefore guilty of adultery. I just think to that time when I was sitting in a room of some of my Christian friends and watching a movie that most people would deem is totally fine, and they're just making jokes about homosexuality and adultery and fornication, and people are just laughing and saying, oh my gosh, that's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad, and we should, we should shut it off and, and, and run from those things. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, flee sexual immorality, every other sin a person commits outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. So if you struggle with any of these things, cut them out of your life. Again, it'd be better for you to enter heaven having not used the internet or the television or social media, than it would for you to be dragged into hell by evil desire. We must cut everything out of our life that causes us to sin. A life that's cautious to avoid the temptations of the world will often be less convenient. It'll look different than the world does, but I can promise that it's so worth it. The joy of living under the hand of Christ, following his will and obeying his word, is so, so worth it. I'd like us to read the primary verses for today one last time. I'll just read it to you. You can just listen. Lynn, you can come on up while I do this. Um, Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, we're not just to stop before adultery, but everything that precedes adultery. We're to flee temptation and run towards the Lord. The only way to overcome sin is by desiring Christ more. 
And when we do that, everything else will fade away in the light of Christ, everything else. The only way to run from a habitual use of, of, of anything that, that, that's sinful is by learning to hate the sin that God hates and learning to love the things that God loves. Um, you're fine, Lynn. Um, they can leave a message. Um, <laughs> they better leave a message. I'm leaving them a message. Um, I'm going to give you guys a message and then we'll be done. Um, we must turn our eyes on Jesus and flee from the things of the world. So you guys can stand it up. We're going to sing this last closing hymn and then we'll pray.